the icons of real estate podcast. Are you ready to learn the proven money-making secrets from top producing icon agents? Ready to skyrocket your business? This podcast is for you. Tune in every week with your host, Tomasz Fonseca, and find out how to implement proven strategies to 10 times your business. From $3 million to $30 million in just 12 months. Brought to you by the Masters in Real Estate Marketing, Ardor SEO. Welcome to the Icons of Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Patty Teal. Let me tell you about today's featured guest. His name is Sterling Chapman. Sterling is the president and managing partner of Crestworth Capital. They help small business owners and professionals to earn enough passive income to live the life of their dreams. Doesn't that sound nice? Sterling has mastered the, the art and science of sales, funnel management, marketing, account management, strategic business planning, and financial forecasting. Welcome, Sterling. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's great to have you on. So, Sterling, what we usually do is we have our guests start with their story into the business that they're doing now and how you got to this level of success and where you started. And just tell us your story. Sure. So I started, you know, in, um, in 2017, I wanted to be the next CFO of some major corporation. I was in corporate America and, um, and I was finishing my MBA and I was taking some entrepreneurship classes and I thought, man, it would be so cool to do something, you know, that, that I had control over that was making me money instead of somebody else. I just didn't know how to do anything. So I didn't have any like, you know, specialty knowledge. And I was working in telco and I didn't know enough to go start a telco company. I don't, I don't know that you can even do that. But um, so uh, between the, leader, the, the leadership and the entrepreneurship classes, I was taking in my, my master's program. And then I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it talks about um, buying income producing assets and all the tax benefits and trading your money for time versus, you know, the, all these other uh, philosophies and, and ideologies around that. And it just blew my mind. And it, and it, and it sounds like uh, the, the main topic there is you can buy, um, you can buy real estate and rent it out and, and then you can get passive income from it and you can, you know, get real great tax benefits from it as well. So I started reading everything I could about at the same time, you know, people were getting surplus from corporate America where I worked and it just, it, you know, this, the dream started to seem a little less stable than, than I'd always pictured it, you know, mm -hmm. was, he was dedicating 80 hours of my life to this company. And, you know, at any point they could just turn the faucet off. So I wanted to take more control of my life. And, um, and so I started listening to a lot of bigger pockets podcast, um, reading a lot of books and listening to a lot of audio books and buying rental properties. Um, I saved up down payments and I bought two and I was out of money and I was frustrated because it was going to take me a year to save up another down payment. And I thought I'm not moving quite as, as fast. Like it's going to take me forever at this pace. So I, I started learning about some more strategic techniques to, to kind of get into the, the process and, and around kind of using other people's money. And, um, you know, there's, the, uh, I took advantage of like uh, seller financing and some other strategic and creative ways to buy properties without your own money. So partnerships, seller financing, 
and what we call the Burr strategy. So it's, it's buy, rent, rehab, refinance, and repeat. So essentially, you borrow money from a passive investor or from a um, you know lender of any sort, and so you get the cash in your bank, and then you or, or some people start with a HELOC from their home equity, and then you go buy a distressed property way below value because you know people give you a discount because to, if you have to do the work right, so you buy a property way below market value because it's distressed. You renovate the property now; it's worth a lot more. You go to a bank and say, hey, I've got this you know, nice fixed up property. Can you give me a mortgage on it? They'll give you an 80% mortgage on it, which cashes out your investor and gives you that money back to go buy another one. And so it's a repeatable process. And I, I, you know, over a couple of years, I was able to build up a, a multi-million dollar rental portfolio with the same money just over and over again, um, recycled through that process. And um, then I, I, I as well as a bunch of duplexes and fourplexes through seller financing and stuff like that. And I was, I realized that managing those properties was uh, no more fun than working. Cause it was it, working. <laughs> yeah. It, so it wasn't really a scalable solution. So I read a book by a gentleman named Joe Fairless uh, about apartment syndication. So I started, um, I started my podcast, the rent roll radio show to kind of, um, you know, just really to continue networking and learning. So I just interviewed a bunch of really successful investors and, you know, people let everybody listen to me do it. And, um, and from there I started to, you know, go to conferences and learn more and more about apartment communities and how those are purchased by everyday folks, you know, like myself, like, you know, when you, you when you're little and you walk by one of these big apartment complexes, you're like, Oh, some, some big shot on Wall Street, some big investment firm must do that. But a lot of them in today's environment with the ways the, the laws are and the exemptions from the SEC that are available, it's it's really just like, you know, a, a lot of kind of everyday folks like me who, you know, put together the projects, they raise funds from their friends and family or from other retail investors. And we pull it all together and we, we go buy these apartment complexes and we just like flipping the houses, we flip the apartment complexes. It just takes us five years to do it. So, um, so that's, that's where I've spent a lot of my energy over the last couple of years, um, uh, either raising money passively to buy apartment complexes and, and increase the value there or uh, manage my rental portfolio or flipping houses to come up with more cash to buy more apartments. I'm very impressed. I mean, really, you said that was in 2017 that you were working a job job. And, you know, so in five years, look what you've accomplished. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. The, I mean, it was it, it was a, a, a great time in history to do it. Right. Well, so, you got lucky there. Know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of tailwinds. So I don't know if mm -hmm. you've seen the news, but, you know, real estate prices just shot up. I saw that on the news. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it was. And rents, yeah. too. Yeah, so, yeah, which, mm -hmm. is, which is the the rent is the main driver in the in the price of the apartment complexes. So, like uh -huh. some apartment complexes that we brought bought in the beginning of 2021, and we're like, okay, you know, after we re rehab it and and renovate it, make it look nice, like we might be able to move the rent from 700 to 1050. Well, those apartments are now getting 1450 a unit. Wow! So it's been, you know, the market has has definitely um, been our friend. Yes. Yes. So where 
are you located? And do you do business outside of your local area? Yeah, so I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and 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 I buy primarily, I buy apartment complexes not in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So okay. I, my, my rental properties and my the houses I flip are in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, just for convenience. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I always say like, there's ways that you select markets for long-term growth to ensure demand, and I'll be happy to cover those. But at the end of the day, like people make money in every market in America. But you just pay a discount for the markets that aren't great. So mm-hmm. like I I buy the houses in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I know the neighborhoods like the back of my hand. Like I know if it's going to be a good neighborhood, I know. And I'm not in it for a long time. You know what I mean? So the long-term implications of that are, um, I lost my train of thought now. It's not important when you're flipping a house that you're only going to be in for three months, but when you're buying a $10 million apartment complex that you're going to own for seven years, you want to make sure you don't buy it in Detroit right before the auto industry goes overseas and the asset right, values drop right. to nearly nothing. So mm-hmm. typically when, when we're looking for markets that we buy apartment complexes in, we look at the population trend. So like, are people moving there or are people moving away? We look at um, the job job trend, right? Are they adding mm-hmm. jobs? Are they losing jobs? What are the jobs paying? Uh, what kind of job job diversification is there? So like, you know, like in, <clears throat> in Detroit, like the whole town was propped up by the auto industry. So when mm-hmm. it, when it left, it created a huge void, which caused major occupancy issues and wrecked the whole local economy. You know, there's, there's, there's towns in South Louisiana where it's like, the whole town lives off of the oil industry. And if, if that were to go bust or, or there are change laws or whatever, like that would, that would make wreak havoc on the local economy and cause high vacancy, which causes property value drops. So that's, that's, that's like a dangerous move. So we look at areas like, like um, Atlanta, Georgia, or Charlotte, North Carolina, or Houston, Texas, where there's like a real well-diversified economy where like if one industry or one employer was disrupted, it wouldn't disrupt the grant, the whole economy. So, you know, we bought assets, like I said, right outside of Atlanta, right outside of Charlotte, right outside of Houston. Um, but what about but Florida? I, uh, we love Florida. So, okay. I mean, Florida's, you know, there, there's, like I said, there's a price you pay because the areas that are great to buy in, unfortunately, everybody knows they're the areas that are great to buy in, right? So there's this like continuum of like, all right, is it a bad market? If it is, what's the discount? And like, is it a great market? If it is, what's the premium you're going to pay because of the competition? So like, I love Florida. I would love, I'd love to own everything in Florida. Florida's a great market. Florida's <laughs> booming. The problem is everybody knows that Florida is a great market. Right, right. So you kind of up the price in the competition. You want to maybe find areas that not everybody knows are about to explode. You want to be the first party. Yeah. yeah. And that must take a lot of research. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I I wanted to ask you, um, the people that do deals with you, I know there's a lot of ways that people can partner with you and your company. Can you tell us some of those, those ways that they can work with you? Investors. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I typically work with with people in in two different fashions. So one is on the, on the single family side of my business. You know, I, I like to, to use private lenders, where we just pay a fixed rate of like because I, I use their money to buy the houses to fix them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but 
that's a very small proportion of the capital that I raise. The majority of the capital that I raise is uh, equity partnerships in the apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, as a, as a syndicator or an operator of an apartment syndication, what me and my partners do is we, we raise capital from, we take your money, we take our money, we put it all together. We buy an apartment complex, we increase the value over five years, and then we sell it for a big payout. And, and you as the investor takes a large majority of those profits. And then we take a smaller piece of the profits for putting the project together. Right. So is a lot of your time spent finding those investors? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a few different roles and responsibilities within like the apartment syndication model, right? You have you have folks that that focus on the acquisition, like are they they're finding the deals? You have folks that focus on the underwriting, they're underwriting and making sure it's a good deal. You have folks that focus on the uh, asset management. You know, once you buy the project, somebody has to sit there and babysit the the construction companies and babysit the property managers and you know and and go back and forth with the bank and make sure that the asset is running smoothly. And then you, you have to bring the money to the project. So um, I have, I have three partners in most of my projects that I work in. And um, you know, we have a guy that focuses on acquisition, a guy that focuses on underwriting, a guy that focuses on asset management. And I'm actually the guy that focuses on, on raising the capital. Um, so, so, you know, it's, I'm constantly trying to kind of tweak my model because I, I live a bit in two different worlds. A lot of folks that focus primarily on flipping houses focus primarily on flipping houses. And a lot of people mm -hmm. that focus primarily on syndicating apartment complexes focus primarily on syndicating apartment complexes. As somebody who does both, um, you know, it's a lot of work. And, and so you, you try to outsource as much as possible via partnerships and via, um, you know, employees, right? So mm -hmm. on the single family side of my business, really the only thing I've, ironically, uh, on the single family side of my business, the only thing I really focus on is finding deals because mm -hmm. of my relationships with my wholesalers that get me and my reputation that get me access to um, those distressed houses. So all I, all, pretty much all of my time is split between finding distressed properties for single family houses and finding investors for large multifamily properties. Everything else is, is either outsourced to employees or to partners. Can you explain that really well? Yeah. So it's very attractive to people to be passive investors. And a lot sure. of the people that you work with, they get to just sit back and let you manage everything. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's so funny because um, a lot of times I'll bump into people and they'll, you know, passive investors, and they'll say, you know, I want to, I want to do what you do. I want to be an active investor. I'm like, well, I want to do what you do. You know, uh, <clears throat> so when I started, I didn't have any money, and so that's why I took on more of an active role. But you know, I work with a lot of like doctors and like business owners, you know, real estate brokers or or mortgage, you know, people that own mortgage companies and stuff. 
and they make a tremendous amount of money at their day job mm-hmm. and, and they have tax issues. They have, you know, what, what am I going to do with it? Inflation concerns and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so for them, it makes a lot of sense to just keep doing what you're doing and what you're best at. And then let me do what, what I can do and just make you money. Cause it's, I mean, it's really handsome returns. I mean, these, these apartment syndications over the last three decades have averaged, a, you know, 20% averaging the rate of return, if not better, mm-hmm. which kind of equates to doubling your money every five years. And, you know, in, in a world of tech startups and Bitcoin billionaires, we can get kind of blinded by this like lottery ticket type of, sure. of expectations on returns. But in reality, if you look at doubling your money every five years, that can be very powerful and very life trans transformative, right? Like, so if you, if you put a hundred thousand dollars in year one and you double it after five years, you have $200,000 after 10 years, you have $400,000 after 15 years, you have $800,000. And after 20 years, you have $1.6 million. So like, you know, if you think about it from the perspective of a, of a, of a 40 year old starting to put in a hundred thousand dollars, which most 40 year olds have access to via their retirement account or whatever. And you look at that doubling every five years over a 20 year period. Now, when they're 60, uh, $1.6 million would be a, a rather convenient supplement to their retirement. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know? And that's just, that's just a back of the napkin example of, of mm-hmm. how powerful that is. Um, there's a tremendous amount of other examples that go into early retirement and there's cash flow associated with it. And there's, you know, wonderful tax benefits through cost segregation and bonus depreciation. So it's, it's great. And, and, you know, having, so I, I, uh, I wanted, I wanted freedom and security and that's why I got into real estate and I started, um, I started buying rental properties and I started flipping houses and I got it. But what I found along the way was it was a tremendous amount of work, a tremendous amount of stress, headaches. Um, and, and the average person is not going to want to go through that, but they can still benefit from all of the, you know, all of the benefits of real estate. Cause we, as we know, you know, 90% of the world's millionaires were made from real estate. There's t- tremendous amount of benefits and you can actually partake in that without partaking in the tenants and the toilets and the headaches and the stress. And, um, and so that's what a lot of our investors love about the, the oh, arrangement. Absolutely. And depending on how long you hang on to that property, I mean, you're pretty much going to get your money back. I mean, you don't have the high risk, let's say a crypto that you right. mentioned earlier, where you might be an instant millionaire, but it's, it's pretty safe, relatively yeah. safe. Yes. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's real. It's yeah. The value, mm-hmm. of, the value of tangible. Eight, yes. Yeah. The value of, of eight, 10, you know, Wyoming street, it's never going to go to zero. Like there's always going to be value in the fact that that could put a roof over somebody's head and somebody's going to pay to have that roof over their head. Right. Now you mentioned how things have just gone up so dramatically in the past couple of years. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, but you obviously study the market. What do you think the next year or two are going to bring? Is this a good time for people to be investing both in houses or multi-unit? Or would you say one is better than the other now because rents are high? I always say economics is a soft science, like psychology. Like we can Mm -hmm. guess and we can look at general indicators, but we like don't have a crystal ball. Like on my my podcast for years, I've interviewed some of the top economists and and people that study this and, and 
very, very tenured experienced real estate investors. And one thing I can tell you is that they all disagree. Oh, and, and, and it's very, very smart. And, and, and you look at the top economists on the mm-hmm. side of the political spectrum in, in our nation, and they all disagree. Of course. And they yeah. both got like triple doctorates and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, all the, you know, they're not idiots by any means. Like they all get it. They, they there's mm-hmm. just, you know what I mean? They just disagree. And, you know, I have, I've interviewed, because we've been doing, I've been doing the show for three years now. And I, and I look back on, on people that I, really, really respect and admire and take their advice, you know, to a T. And I look at predictions they made two years ago and they were just flat out wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't feel any different about them today. You know, I understand. That, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, there's things I was flat out wrong about, but if you want my opinion, which is, that's all it is, is it's my mm-hmm. opinion is that um, we won't see a crash because we're, you know, from a, I mean, we'll see a, we might see a stock crash. We won't see a housing crash because of the supply and demand issues associated with it, right? So we're as a as a country, we're you know several million housing units short, and we can't really build them fast enough for a number of reasons. One is is supply chain issues; we can't get the materials. Number two is the labor shortages, and and then number three is is interest rate rising, right? Everybody seems to think interest rates are going to be what crashes the economy. And it's, it certainly slowed the growth, but, but in order to, to build, you know what I mean? People got to borrow money to build and, mm-hmm. and now it is more expensive for them to borrow that money. So less people are going to borrow money to build than, you know, six months ago. So, so those coupled with the fact that like our population is not going anywhere. So we, we still need the housing units. We just can't bring them online fast enough. So I think that'll keep us from having any like crazy, you know, crazy dips. That being said, as somebody who sells houses, I have certainly seen it slow. Right. You know, whereas, mm-hmm. whereas five months ago, I was getting three offers day one. Now I'm looking at, you know, I'm, I've got stuff that's been on the market for two weeks and I'm panicking. Whereas like I shouldn't be right. Like that's really just a return to normal. Like you shouldn't mm-hmm. get 10 offers on the first day. We've just been spoiled. You shouldn't have 0% <laughs> exactly. interest rates. We've just mm-hmm. been spoiled as, as, as a, as a real estate investor community over the last two years um, or longer than that. I mean, it's, it's very reasonable expectation to, you know, you for your house to take you three months, three weeks to sell your house or, you know, to have a, have a five or six percent interest rate, you know, to buy a home. Um, it, we just, you know, everybody's panicking because we've been spoiled recently. Gotcha. So, are there two strategies? I'm sure there are more than two strategies, but is it better to buy when prices are down and interest rates are up, with thinking that you can refinance, or is it better to buy when prices are up but the interest rates are down? What do you think about that? This is an interesting question. Um, so I would say buy when prices are down because you can refinance later. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing though is, you know, if you're, and it's a loaded question. Let me start by saying that. Okay. It varies <laughs> just depending on what your, right. what your situ- everybody's situation is so different. Sure. So yeah. no, no single piece of advice fits everybody, you know, but, but like it, good cheap debt is great. You know, I locked, I bought my house at a 2.93% interest rate. Yeah. And, and and I might've paid more than I could have bought it in an environment 
where my interest rate was 6%, but mm -hmm. I'm better off for having locked in that long-term cheap debt. Cause I don't know when I'm going to be able to come across that again. And is the house going to be for sale at that point? Sure. So like, I like, I definitely like the low interest rates, but I, I mean, if I was in the market for a house, which I'm not, um, I would still buy a house. Now I, I'd be, I might be limited, right. By my debt to income ratios. And then, and so a lot of people, that's a real thing. Sure. Whereas, you know, Johnny homebuyer might want to buy the house with hopes of refinancing later, but he might be limited from the fact that because the interest rates are so high, he can't afford get, it. Mm -hmm. he, you know, it maxes out his DTI. Right, right. You know, you mentioned your podcast. So I want to give it a shout out. It is called the Rent Roll Radio Show. Is that right? Yes, yes, ma'am. Yeah, and I'm sure it's everywhere podcasts can be found. It is. It's yeah, a, it's everywhere podcasts can be found. We put the videos out on YouTube. So, so another thing I saw when I was reading up on you that the exit strategy is very important. So, sure. how do you know though what's going to happen with the economy? How do you figure out that exit strategy? So, I mean, typically, so when, when I buy houses, you know, I only buy between a certain range. Like I don't buy real high end houses because if you get, if I, if I buy a $250,000 house and my intention is to flip it, right. And, and nobody buys and the market goes down and the value goes down and I'm stuck with it. I could always refinance it and keep it and rent it out. And a two hundred fifty thousand dollars house in in my area, demanding you know, demanding the rent that it gets, I can always stick a tenant in there, even if it's not great cash flow. It could at least like stop the bleeding, and to right. where I can weather the storm. But if I had like a six hundred thousand dollars house in an area that only you know doesn't get more than three thousand dollars a month rent, like that's not going to cover that mortgage, and and it's you're going to be losing every month holding on to it. Mm -hmm. So I always kind of make sure like I have other ways to get out of it, whether it's hanging on to it for a short-term rental, make sure it's a cat, you know, everything we buy, you know, you got to make sure you have cash flow. You're buying for cash flow rather than appreciation. Um, and, and so with like apartment, with our apartment complex projects, it's like, you know, make sure you have a long enough run on your fixed debt to where you don't balloon in the middle of a bad time. Right. You know, go for the five-year fix versus the the eighteen-month bridge. You know, mm -hmm. um, it gives you that that runway of being able to take care of it. So I, I like, uh, and I, I I live by these rules some days better than others. But mm -hmm. you know, I definitely think they're important. But I stole them from Joe Fairless. But it's, he he talks about like the three irrefutable laws of real estate investing, and and it's to have adequate cash reserves, um, to have long-term fixed debt. And to um, buy for cash flow rather than appreciation, and that's how you pretty much stay out of trouble. Wow, wow. you've done a lot of studying, and you're so very knowledgeable. Um, I want to make sure that our listeners or viewers get your contact information. Sure. So they can email me Sterling at CrestworthCapital.com, and they can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Sterling R. Chapman. Um, they can follow me on Twitter. I, I think that my marketing guys doing TikTok and, and YouTube now too. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really easy to find and, and get a hold of. Well, I'm so glad you got out of the corporate world and are able to work for yourself and be so successful. And Sterling, thank you so much for being on the Icons of Real Estate podcast today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you.